We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Tom Thayer, Chicago Bears radio analyst. There was one time we were playing Tampa short yards goal line. I was in the end zone waiting for Harbaugh to throw me the ball. Instead of throwing the ball, he ran it in. And I go, Jim, you could have padded your stats by throwing me a one-yard pass. He goes, I, I know, but I thought you'd drop it. <laughs> did you think you had good hands? I, I know okay. I did. 41-12. Look at these things. 1985 Super Bowl champion. Walter Payton, Mike Ditka, Hungry Chicago, finally champions on this January day in New Thayer with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. Bears. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Always a joy and a privilege to talk to the great man himself. And Tom Thayer joins us on The Score Hotline. Brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sportsbook. Hey, Tom, how are you? Good morning, man. How you guys doing? Good. Did, doing you, good. did you really enjoy watching that Pro Bowl competition? What, what was that? I, you know, I, I did not watch one second of it because I had such disagreement with what they're trying to pull off. Thank you. Uh, nowadays and call it the Pro Bowl, which is disrespectful for the generations and years of the guys who have uh, put forth the effort, the energy, and got voted into it and, you know, you know, when it really meant something. And when I, I saw one clip um, that uh, a defensive player hit Tariq Hill as he was going out of bounds, um, and that was the biggest hit that I've seen in the pole bowl in the last four years. <laughs> so, uh, honestly, for them to be in full pads and not want to touch each other and then to get kind of like um, – okay, here we are at that intersection of the pylon, the end zone. I'm a defensive player, and you're going to flip it back to an offensive player. I'm still going to hit you. And so, you know, those are the types of things that when it happens down the road and someone gets injured because of it, and then they're going to start rethinking this new silly plan they're having. Well, didn't Miles Garrett dislocate his toe or something like yes, that? Yes, he did. So yeah. it's already started, Tom. Oh. Right, I mean, you know, what was it? The the running back from the Las Vegas Raiders, Josh Jacobs, he's the one that called this out and said, what the hell are we doing out here? This is the stupidest thing that I've ever been a part of. So I'm glad somebody voiced their opinion. And, um, and again, it's not, this is not an old curmudgeon type guy saying, oh, yeah, when we were – that's not the case. It's The Pro Bowl used to be a salute. It used to be respect. It used to be – uh, a time where you celebrated some of the greatest players on the NFL. And I know, you know, everybody that's got involved in it nowadays and no quarterbacks playing all that kind of stuff, but yeah. it's still crap. Now it's a TikTok video. 
Oh, my God. It's ridiculous. It's, it's worse than that. And, uh, Tom, <laughs> we've had a really interesting conversation here the last week or so. On, on Friday, I think, David brought up the idea that uh, that you look at Nick Sirianni and he's this, this kind of guy, you're wondering what he does. What, like, how how good a coach is he? What has he done? He's brought a team to the Super Bowl, but it's a very well produced team. They've got tons of defensive linemen. They've got a lot of guys in the second. They've, they've had a lot of luck injury-wise. Obviously, you worry about uh, a Jalen Hurts, but it's been extraordinary to watch his development. Um, and, and, and he made a comparison to Mike Ditka, and the idea being that if the Bears were kind of a band, Ditka may have been a singer, but it was Buddy Ryan who was the songwriter and the lyricist and and you know the talent out of the group was buddy ryan not mike ditka and so we got into an argument about whether or not ditka uh was the guy that was the irreplaceable piece or was it buddy and and it's just an interesting idea because i've never thought of it in that fashion but i would imagine being there and having lived through it you'd have an idea as to whether or not Ditka was the uh, the guy that pushed this thing. Well, you know, you know, it, within one day's time, I came from a team that, uh, uh, you know, from a time in the in the USFL that was being coached by George Allen, who was a Hall of Fame NFL coach himself. In the way I, and then I saw the way that he conducted business by his personality. It was completely the opposite end of the spectrum of Mike Ditka. And then I got to be part of the Chicago Bears and come and be introduced to the professional employee personality of Mike Ditka. And um, it was I was always impressed because everything that he asked us to do on the practice field was something that he did on the practice field as a player and as a position coach. And so to me, my major influence, and probably because I was on the offensive side of the ball, came from Mike Ditka. Um, and that's all the inspiration I needed. And um, so I'm not saying any, you know, and listen, I, I like Buddy Ryan, and I like the attitude that he carried on the defensive side of the ball because I think with those two groups of guys, offense, defense specifically, not special teams, they needed the competitiveness and they needed the challenge to keep everybody pointed in the same direction as the season kind of wind, winded on. And um, I remember – um, Kenny Marjoram walking into a team meeting, and I think we are 11 or 12 and 0 and something. And he walked in, he goes, I've never seen an unhappier group of 12 and 0 players in my life. <laughs> and, you know, that was just kind of the day to day attitude and the competitiveness that we had. And then on the side of the Super Bowl ring, Ditka had a word inscribed, and it was ACE, and it stands for attitude, character, and enthusiasm. And I think that meant a lot to him because I think that's the approach and the attitude that you have to have every day coming into that facility. And we knew exactly what was going to happen on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It was going to be a full pad, full physical practice, and then we were going to get ready and play the game. And I think Ditka was the type of person that could take – you know, guys like Walter Payton, Jim McMahon, the guys on the offensive line and every position on the offensive side of the ball and challenge them. And I think Buddy Ryan was able to do the same thing with the defensive players and have all those character guys and challenge them on an everyday basis from the beginning of every practice where they have to do 50 up downs to the effort that he expected to give, you know, for his defense to give. But I do think that Ditka, 
had a strong enough voice that when he stood in front of the entire team, what he said meant something to everybody. And I think that's, you know, the most important piece to the Super Bowl puzzle is the fact that Buddy was a great coach. Ditka was a great coach. So was Dick Stanfeld and the other guys in the staff. But Ditka was able to pull pull everybody together each week that we went out and played. And that's how the conversation sort of began, Tom. It was like you look at Nick Sirianni, and I think his biggest impact, at least from the outside, is the fact that he is in charge of morale. He is a guy that is having you know the attitude, the character, the enthusiasm. He's in charge of that, and that's the biggest role that we see him play. Now, he may be behind the scenes tactically doing things that we're unaware of, but that's where I compared – the impact he has on the Eagles to the one that Mike Ditka might have had on the 85 Bears. And then the question came up, could anybody have coached the 85 Bears? What about Buddy Ryan? And I thought that, yes, he could have. So I, I, it wasn't so much as look at what you know Buddy Ryan could have done this as much as it was comparing the emotional impact of a head coach and the role that can play in a Super Bowl champion. I think Nick Sirianni is having that effect on – the Eagles in the way that Mike Ditka did the way you're describing on the 85 bears. Well, you know, I I think one example of what he's doing in Philadelphia is when you have the dedication, the competitiveness, the improvement and the desire to be great that Jalen hurts has, that is kind of comes from the influence of the head coach, because if you get an understanding that everybody in the locker room is pointed in the right direction, that you have that willingness to go out and do whatever you need to do as an individual according to your position to come back and be the best possible player you can be. And I think Jalen Hurts has done that. And um, when you look at all the talent on the defense and what they're, uh, the way they're playing, you look at the talent on the offensive line, the running backs, the receiver position, if it wasn't for Jalen Hurts and the way he's playing, um, I don't think this team would be respected as, as much as they are at this point in the season, getting ready to play Kansas City in the Super Bowl. And um, I think that was the same thing that Mike Ditko was capable of doing, that he, um, he knew that what Walter Payton did in the offseason to make sure he was prepared during the season. He saw what Clyde Emmerich was having the rest of the football team do inside a small, compact weight room and getting the most out of it and getting stronger at the end of every offseason. So Ditko was the biggest influence of the success, even though when, even when Buddy went and took the Philly job and you look at the talent he had there and he wasn't able to go deep into the playoffs and, and turn that team around. Um, and again, tons of respect for Buddy. I, I, I love his attitude and, um, and he treated everybody equally on that defense. And I think that was as important, but you know, Dick, uh, he displayed toughness from his playing days and, you know, the way he, he carried him, carried himself around the facility and around the league. Um, Tom, how do you watch the Super Bowl? Do, do you watch it through the lens of the bears? In other words, are you looking for things that the bears could do? Are you just enjoying the game? How, how do you just watch it? Um, you know, more in, uh, I'm more just enjoying the game. I like to see, first of all, the defensive philosophy of what they want to do to Patrick Mahomes. Because when you look at what Todd Bowles did against him a couple of years ago with the Tampa Bay uh, team and how he put him in a retreat position constantly, brought bodies from unknown spots to make sure that he was in a backpedal rather than, you know, running through it, through the line of scrimmage and upfield for positive yards. And so to me, it's um, 
what does Philly, uh, what can they do? Are they going to win battles on the line of scrimmage? Um, or are they going to be able to bring pressure from unknown areas during the cadence to put Patrick Mahomes in that retreat position? And that's why I think it'll increase the chances for Philly. But I also, at this point, I think Philly will win the game. So what is the key to the preparation as teams report to Arizona, to the Super Bowl site? I'm sure every year when you see the planes landing, you may reminisce and Uh it takes you back to – you know, when you did that and what that preparation was like, is there a key, Tom, for each team to keep in mind as they get ready for, you know, what will be a long week? Yeah, make sure that you have everything inserted in terms of game plan responsibilities this past week. Because this upcoming week, no matter what you're going to do at practice, it's not like you're going to have concentrated installation periods the week leading up to it. And so that was what kind of what we went through the first week. It was installation of the entire game plan and then when we did get to new orleans and you got a little bit more distractions with family and friends and just the whole hoopla of the super bowl itself and that condensed area like new orleans you had to make sure that you were you had everything in focus and um you still had to you know um, invest some individual time watching tape and doing the things that you need to do during the course of a week and you know keep it um you, you know Make sure that's the most important thing leading up to the week. But I, I do think they go down to Arizona. They go out to Arizona, and most of the preparation is already installed. And now it's just kind of, you know, sharpening a couple of the things that you need to, and make sure, you know, Kansas City, make sure Mahomes is getting his treatment still, and you know, all the other guys that it's going to factor. And if Jalen Hurts still has shoulder issues, to make sure that he's feeling as well as good as he can feel. Yeah, you know, I often wonder, the experience of being in the Super Bowl, do you think that's a huge advantage for Kansas City? They, they've they been to a couple, right? They've won one, not everyone, but a lot of the key figures have been there before. Does that make it easier than for a team like the Eagles that uh, they could be distracted by all the bread and circus of the thing? Yeah, I, I do think I, that's a good point, Molly, because I think when you have the experience of all the hoopla that goes along with the Super Bowl and all the uh, appearances and interviews that you have to make sure you get scheduled, because it affects everybody. This is not only uh, Jalen Hurts and uh, you know uh, the top member of the defense. No, this is every single guy on the team, whether you're Dave Tobe's favorite return guy on special teams or you're a receiver that's only been around for a, a couple a couple weeks if you get traded like Tony did in the middle of the season. So there, you know, it, it's going to affect everybody. But um, uh, you know, then you know, you got all the f- tickets and all the family stuff that you got to deal with. That can you just can't allow that to be be a distraction. You have to designate somebody within your family that is in control of all the outside events other than the game. Tom, we were talking about the Senior Bowl and Luke Getty being down there and one of the players that was on display all week, John Michael Schmitz, the center from Minnesota, and where somebody like that might go in the draft and whether or not his grade might be high enough to sneak into the first round, but more likely a second-day pick, maybe second, maybe third. Generally speaking, do you think that a team can draft a center too high or do you think that that's a position you can always look at, you know, one of the Bears' best ever Olin Krutz, third-round draft pick. We know where Jay Hilgenberg came from. You, know, you don't have to spend a high draft pick on a guy like that. At the same time, 
What if he fits their profile? What is your philosophy, generally speaking, on drafting centers? Um, you know, listen, I'm I'm all for drafting great players when they become available. You know, and in depending, you know, you know, yeah. Would you like to get a, a star ten year offensive tackle? Yeah. Do you think you could get a starting guard or a starting center in the second, third, or fourth round? Of course you can. Um, but I do think it was important for Luke Essie to be down there for a week and look at the the mental accomplishments of a lot of these players to see what they can learn, what they can digest within a week, and then how can they use it during the course of a game plan. Um, having a chance to watch those practices, yeah, you get super impressed with these guys. You know, they got a starting guard from Florida, I think it was, that could probably come in and be a day-one starter, that center from Minnesota, day-one starter. They had an offensive lineman, Steen, from Alabama that I, I, I really like, that I think that he could be a type of guy that you could draft and you could plug and play him where you need him the most. He's got that type of versatility. So, yeah, I, I do think that, um, you know, hopefully Luke was able to pay attention to what some of these guys were able to do within a short short week's time. But, you know, he had enough of a responsibility of making sure the practices were run right, everything was installed correctly, and the mistakes were corrected as quickly as possible. We've talked about this before, Tom. When you when you start talking about building a team, you kind of want to go inside out, right? You want to get that defensive line fixed to fix your defense. You want to get the offensive line fixed to help your offense. It just seems like if 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 I'm doing the drafting, I'm looking at at proximity to the line of scrimmage on either side of the ball. Yeah, but you know, and so let's you know even minimize it down. What is your priority? To me, it's the priority is the defensive line. Right. And then I can bring in offensive linemen, either drafted later, maybe in the free agency, or see how guys fit your plan. When you look at what uh, Justin Fields can offer to an offense, Dave Montgomery, whatever is going to happen to him with Khalil Herbert, um, I, I still think that, to me, uh, on this team specifically, I would go focus defensive line, then offensive line, and then other the other pieces I need to put in place. And does you who you draft maybe on that defensive line, isn't that going to be affected by who you sign in free agency? Are you or do you do you possibly take a hypothetically a defensive tackle even after signing a defensive tackle? Would that be okay with you? Yeah, no, no, yeah, for sure. I mean, I want competition. And if you look at a defensive line from outside in or inside out, you're still going to need six to seven competitors. This is not something that you're going to bring in one defensive line from the top of the crop this year in in the out of the combine and also okay our our problems are are cured. No, it's about making sure that you bring in a guy and then you start stacking some talent on top of him. You know when you think of just uh, you know you got you had teams like Philly when Buddy went there and you had Reggie White and you had Jerome Brown you had Mike Golick you had Ron Pitts and other guys on the inside. When you look at uh, McMichael, Hampton, William Perry on the inside of the 85 defense, you, you need you need as many great players at that position as you could possibly get to help you get to the point where you're winning the division going deep in the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, I'm looking at this game and I'm thinking, you know, Hargraves. Is that a guy that, that could be, you know, Javon Hargrave being available well, – could just sign him and then get Jalen Carr. You know what I'm saying? Like that. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you you got a professional defensive line and you get pass rushers around it. There are going to be guys throughout the draft supposedly that are pretty good 
rushing the passer. Um, I, I just think that there's a I think there's a lot of strength needed on that defensive line, and that'll help your linebackers. That'll help your secondary. Yeah, you know, too, as you look at the quarterbacks that are in the division right now, and include Aaron Rodgers, and then you think of Jared Goff, and you think of Kirk Cousins. These are not dynamic athletes, and especially at this age by Aaron Rodgers. So you've got to formulate a plan by your defensive line that can not only crush a pocket, but they can also have exterior responsibilities if they would need to if there was a quarterback change within the defense, within any offenses in this division. So I, I do think that you have to have a defensive line that's as dominating as a reputation as a, a defensive line like Philly that's coming in this right. week or you know what we've seen out of the other teams. Great stuff, Tom. Always a joy. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, Tom. All right, man. See you guys. That is Tom Thayer. Gosh, he's good, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's very good. Very insightful. Mentioned Aaron Rodgers. He uh he, he was talking again though this weekend at the Oh, he won. Pro M. He won. Um I believe Did he? if I'm not mistaken, he used really? the foot wedge a couple times. It's really? I'm guessing that he cheated. Mm-hmm. But he did win. It's about Pro-Am. time. Aaron Rodgers won it's something a, in February. Yeah, it's very rare that Aaron Rodgers could actually win something when it counted these days. But apparently there was no there was no bad coaching to throw him off. Did he talk about the Raiders being the team that was most uh, often mentioned from fans? And yeah, I mean, it's because... Now he's toying with that because Devontae yeah, Adams exactly, is there. Exactly. And, he, said, yeah. he said that, you know, whatever's going on in Green Bay, they're not talking to him about it. So it makes you think, yeah... Maybe things aren't going as well as he had hoped. But I, I just so much money for him to walk away from. He'd have to redo his contract to fit in someplace else. It's just hard to I believe. I don't know that he's motivated by money as much as he is He is needy for attention. Yeah, yeah. Winning that pro-am, I mean, maybe the guy's got a future doing something else. <laughs> Help. Three ones, I just like, I'd love to see him leave the Packers, that's all. Although, you know, last year was fun. Smalley and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 of the score. How many extra plane tickets did Ryan Poles give you to try to get a few of these guys back to Chicago? I think we ordered like a big jumbo jet to just come with me, so we'll take them all. We're good. Seriously, did you find with this hands-on experience you had here working with the players, are there guys that you're going to be coming back to in April? I mean, 100%. There's no question about that. Um, That info that you get in the meeting room in the individual period, that one-on-one intimate session is like so critical. And so there's definitely a Chicago Bears sitting in this group for sure. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 to the score. That is the voice of Luke Getze down at the Senior Bowl coaching uh, the, uh, the American team. The, the, uh, the, the American team played the national team. Uh, it's interesting to know that it's almost like a coaching convention down there. Like it's a place where the whole league goes to hook up, talk to each other. Some some coaches don't even turn up, don't leave the hotel. Some players don't even play. Go golfing. Um, yeah, a lot of players don't play. But it's, you know, obviously we saw uh, Ryan Poles down there and uh, Matt Eberflus was down there, Ian Cunningham, the assistant GM. They, they had uh, a lot of scouts and it's a really good – kind of time to to go out and hook up with other people in your profession and talk it through with them. 
but you, you also find players. So that is the, the main objective. And even though there are no first-round draft picks, what you need is some eyes on the guys who aren't as obviously evaluated. It's, it, it's not going to be easy. I'm not suggesting that, that – you know, Will Anderson or Jalen yep. Carter, you're going to be able to tell the difference in what you may like and some of the things that might stand out to to the untrained eye. But the real work is necessary with the, the rank and file of the league, yep. the guys you saw yep. in Mobile, up close and personal. And so Luke Getzey, just, just for clarification here, he was the American – he was, the, he was the, the coach of the losing team. Right. So he got beat 27 to 10. It wasn't his fault. I was going to say, okay, let's just kind of gloss over that. Um, doesn't matter. Wouldn't I have led with it had he It doesn't won? matter. I know. I just think it's kind of funny. <laughs> so Ryan Poles is front and center now. This is the Ryan Poles season. The evaluation of prospects, the um, approaching free agency, what to do with the franchise tag. This is the executive's time of year. After we get done with the Super Bowl within days, then the focus shifts to Ryan Poles. And a lot of what we talk about moving forward, and already to this point, what level of trust, what level of faith do you have in Ryan Poles? Which is why I found it interesting, Mully, over the weekend, Brian Cashman, the general manager for the New York Yankees, was our guest on Inside the Clubhouse with, with Bruce Levine on Saturday morning. Brian Cashman, during a Yankees road trip to Chicago last May, had a somebody in his office who had – a relationship with Ryan Poles had connected the two. Hmm. Brian Cashman spent the day with Ryan Poles while in Chicago during his visit with the Yankees, and so we naturally asked him his impressions of Ryan Poles. Yeah, the uh, you know I flew into Chicago. We had a four-game set, um, you know, with the White Sox. It was a beautiful weekend, and uh, you know, part of my growth and and on behalf of our organization, our growth is we try to collaborate with other teams you know uh, you certainly have friends with our baseball industry it's really vitally important for us to you know we recognize we don't have everything everything figured out and, and we love to collaborate uh with people within our industry but outside our industry whether it's colleges or pro sports so had the opportunity um one of our staff members had a relationship with ryan from from his previous position uh and so i was asked early on would i like to meet with him and and with a few of my staff members so yeah we we went out and spent the entire day before a night game with the White Sox up there at their facility. And I was blown away by the person, by the intellect. Um, and, you know, I, 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 you know, we shared a lot of conversations about experiences uh, and a lot of different things they use in training and, and what we do and data and how you incorporate it and how you go hiring people and got to tour their facility. And, and I would say if you're a Bears fan, you should – believe that the future is extremely bright that they uh you know they got a, a great one in the general manager that they currently have with ryan and i know they've met the big 10 former big 10 commissioners now they're present and uh i you know i certainly like what the bears are doing and and i think there's you know again there's nothing but a positive in their future but it was a great experience for us with the yankees um to get to know them better and see the direction they're going and and the one thing i would say is he's not afraid he's not afraid to make very difficult decisions, and and that's you know that's a true sign of great leadership there. Interesting. That is very interesting. That, that's not two guys I can imagine sharing an I, elevator, let alone going up to learn about the Bears and their operations. Isn't that unusual? It's crazy. I thought that was surprising as well. You're talking yeah. about Brian Cashman, who 
back when he took the job, was the second youngest general manager ever back in right. 1998. Right. Won a World Series with the Yankees. Has been one of the most successful executives in Major League Baseball over the last two decades. Comes to Chicago, drives up to Lake Forest, and spends a day with a rookie general manager. And leaves impressed. That's the takeaway, is that he leaves impressed. I don't think he would have offered that had he not been legitimately impressed. So if I sound surprised, it's because I am. It's a surprising <laughs> turn of events, David. I, I, and listen, I, I got a lot of t- I think there's a lot of value in um, studying organizations, studying different teams. I think it, I think there was nothing wrong with trying to pick up. I mean, it speaks volumes about Brian Cashman to begin with. But it, it's um, it's a good thing for a guy like Ryan Poles to to talk to other people and to talk about decision making, big decisions. You know, you start. I, I'm not afraid to do this or do that. It's a good. thing. What would you think if I did this? What would you think? What was the reaction yeah. to you when you did that? Right. Because right. if his takeaway and his impression was that Ryan Poles not only is competent and intellectual and these kinds of things that obviously to anyone who has met him and understands what he's talking about. But the biggest takeaway being that, you know, he's not afraid that he's bold. That to me puts into context of what might be ahead. I don't know if I I suppose that his first year would reflect that description. You trade away and you, you draw the line at the Roquan Smith negotiation, and then you trade away a 25-year-old all-pro linebacker. Now, maybe, as we have discussed, maybe a lot of that had personal feelings involved, maybe not, but it was a bold move. So was trading Robert Quinn. So, so these are the kinds of things that maybe we ex- should come to expect in approaching free agency with $92 million of cap space when approaching the draft owning the number one overall pick, maybe trading twice because a conservative GM might not do that, but it doesn't sound like he's going to be a conservative GM. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it doesn't sound that way at all. I, I wonder, like, what would be the idea? Like, give me an example, if you could, of a bold move, an unexpected move. A bold move in free agency? Well, I, you know, I'll give you an example. Wouldn't it be a really bold move if they stayed where they were and took a defensive tackle? That you know, if you didn't see what you wanted, is that a bold move or is that a bad move? That would be a bold move. Staying put right now would be the boldest move that he could make because everyone expects him to trade down at least once. In free agency, going after a position that is not considered a premium position, signing Saquon Barkley to a $15 million a year contract would be a bold move. That that is that that is the definition because he's expected to go back to the Giants. It's not a premium position. There's there's a ton of, of free agent running backs available. It's a deep position in the draft, as we found out this week at the Senior Bowl. That would be a bold move. Saquon Barkley was really good at that dodgeball game too. <laughs> if his if you didn't appreciate his athleticism you know before that, I think I missed that part. Yeah, yeah, you're I, lucky. I, you're I, lucky. I, I was too busy. I was transfixed on the uh, the St. Brown brothers uh, having such oh a good time. Oh, my God. I, you know, I went home Friday, Dustin, as I threatened, and I watched that. Uh, for I just kind of sped through it, you know, so avoided the commercials and stuff. And it was okay. But then Sunday, it just the whole thing, 
it just fell apart for me because I mean, just, moving moving the weights and then pulling that was so that was dumb. so weird. In, that in was between, so stupid. Like, and then they had three separate games. That was just dumb. That was they had three that, separate. But, but I didn't even know like the rules, games. and they had no room for offensive linemen. I the first when I sat down and started watching it, they didn't do a good job explaining it. And again, I wasn't really that into it, but I thought, oh God, Dustin must hate this. There's like it's like seven on seven. It was like a seven on seven drill. They had a guy snap. They had ball. A center, I mean, the it. center got to snap. And, I, and I did really, that too. If we're yeah. going to evaluate what awful. is, I know they're gonna not get hit, and it's not gonna be punishing. But if you're trying to avoid injury, it just as easily could have happened playing flag football well, they than had playing with pads. They had an injury when they went to the. How did Miles Garrett break his dislocated toe? his toe? Right. Yeah. I, mean, I don't that know. That was so stupid. It was ridiculous. Yeah, but it, if I were a Cleveland it, fan, well, I hope that's I, the first and last Pro Bowl games gathering. But I'd be. Upset. But you could do it differently. Like there's better games. Like I, I had mentioned on Friday, going back to our, our youth, right on, on why rule the sports. Like I would like like tug of war, which they did a little bit of a tug of war, Be- bench pressing, jump roping. You know, the catch, the one time Diggs is, like, doing this catch, he bounces off like a trampoline, does a flip, then yes. they shoot up smoke in the air, and they got two balls coming at him. He's lucky he didn't break but his do, nose. Do you want to watch that? No, no, no. I'm saying I want to watch, like, I want to watch tug of war. I want to watch weightlifting. I don't want to watch, watch obstacle that. course. I, I don't want to watch that. I, I, I mean, I like I said. Well, here's the thing. I dutifully watched it. $84,000 to the winner, 42000 to the loser. The players aren't going to want to give that up. Really? Really. I don't know. That's a bad tip in Vegas <laughs> for those guys. I'm just saying. Here's a bad tip. Watch the Pro Bowl. Yeah, that's <laughs> a really bad tip. I, I mean, my life is worse for having watched it. Me too. Because I can't get that I am time dumber back. for having devoted an hour to that. <laughs> At least I played some Sudoku while I was doing it. But it was, <laughs> was very, very horrible. So I kept the brain oh, operating a little bit with the Sudoku. But no, no. I, that, I got dumber watching that. That's I learned less about the game, and I don't understand what the scoring was, so that was a problem. 312-644-6767. It's Mully and Haw on the score. Do you feel like he's letting the team down? I'm not going to you know, speculate on what they think. Um, what do you think? I, I think you, you have responsibility as a basketball player, like I do as a coach. I show up, I do my job every single day. Uh, that's what I signed up for. Uh, and that's my expectations for 1 through 17. Mullay and Hall, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, that is Jock Vaughn. He, of course, the uh, the coach uh, of the Brooklyn uh, team and uh, the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, he's talking, to, he's asked specifically about Kyrie Irving. And, I, I mean, that's a very telling answer. Because he shows up every day and does his job. Well, who doesn't show up every day and do Kyrie that? Irving. Nah, he doesn't. He missed 134 games in four seasons with the Nets. The New York Post back page was perfect on Sunday morning. It was, your work here is done. And it had a to-do list for Kyrie Irving. And every, every box was checked. Number one, pocket more than $100 million. Number two, miss 134 games. Number three, refuse the COVID vaccine. Number four, promote anti-Semitic movie. Number five, win one playoff series. And number six, demand a trade. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Good I mean, riddance. What are the Mavs thinking? 
How do they want him on that roster he, in that a, organization? Is he going to wreck another one? He's a very talented player, and um, he is a guy that is – he was the best player in that deal by a mile, and he has the capability of taking a lot of pressure off of uh, Luca, who doesn't have a lot of help on that team. But – But. But <laughs> you would have to – exactly what you said, you'd have to – you would have to know that he is committed to what you are doing. Now, again, he did he did not want to go there. He wanted to be traded to the Lakers. Of course he did. He wanted showtime and he, he was wanted LeBron. To, yes. He wanted to make another run at a title. Right. right. It's not about having talent with Kyrie Irving. It's about being toxic. Yeah. And the He's toxic. There's the no mere doubt about suggestion it. over the weekend that I think it was Mark Spears from ESPN had floated the idea. The Bulls might be a team interested in pursuing Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Why? Well, I mean Why? Was that ever do you think that was ever a consideration by anybody in the Bulls front office? Well, I mean, first of all, he, he was traded for next to nothing. Okay. I mean, it's not like they Spencer Dinwiddie. Like they, Spencer Dinwiddie two draft been, picks and another player. He's been yeah. there before. The other kid is a is a, a wing player who's not a bad player. Um and then a draft pick, but the draft pick, and then two second round picks, which second round picks aren't any big deal. Um, the draft pick's important. When is the draft pick? In 2029 or something? I'm not kidding you. Right, that, because the, that pick conveys. <laughs> the, the, the Rockets own well, everything. But the, the, uh, the Rockets own. Yeah. The, yeah they, go look at what the Rockets got for the James Harden deal. They got like, they got the Nets next, God knows how many first round draft picks. And. You know, the Nets got nothing out of that deal. They got nothing out of James Harden. Um, and obviously, you know, he wasn't even trying when he was in Brooklyn. And you could argue that, that you know, like Kyrie, that was a dream of his to go back and play in New York, and he just never played. Never and, played. And it, for whatever reason. We don't know yet how Kevin Durant feels about it. I think everybody's kind of waiting yes. to see his reaction. Do you see any scenario where he – responds by saying, trade me too. I want out. Well, boy, that would be a major problem. <laughs> well, uh, but but, but, but you don't know. You know, here's the thing. Like, let's say they do trade him. Let's say he does want out. All of a sudden, Houston, their good deal just became, woohoo! Like, they, they can start popping champagne bottles if they haven't already because they really got the better of that deal. The report from, like, Shams, I think it was, that Phoenix might be interested if Kevin Durant – were to want to be moved, were to want to be Listen, Kevin on the Durant's way out. A great player, yeah, a, not still, a good player. Just a at great thirty-five, player. before the injury, was still playing at a very high level. Yep. They had gotten on a bit of a run there. You wondered if they had gotten past some of these off the court hurdles, but apparently not. I think it's interesting to contemplate what the Bulls might do and and how they could improve themselves. It's uh, you know, would Kyrie Irving would he make the Bulls better? Probably he can shoot in the he, short he'd term. He'd be something that they haven't in, seen. In, the question is, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, his contract is up, and he's looking for the two hundred million plus yeah, contract. You, you don't want to do that. I, I just don't. You don't want to make what that Dallas commitment. Is doing. What, what are they doing? I'm not sure what they're doing. Because if you don't pay him, then he's going to go somewhere else. They're trying to win the West. They're, they're they're making a big gamble because Mark Cuban does this kind of thing. He likes yeah. these kind of deals, but it is a huge risk because you just don't know. Based on his recent history, he's going to wreck your organization too, eventually. Now, what what happens before he does that? 
maybe they're gambling that they can win the West with this this season because everything is kind of up for grabs in the West. 312-644-6767. We're going to bring in our guy, Brad Biggs. I'm sorry, did I? No, he has Biggs. He has a great 10 thoughts from the Senior Bowl at chicagotribune.com. You want to check that out, maybe prepare for our segment because he was down there and he had some really interesting conversations with executives around the league. It's, it is a great place to go for that. I mean, you know, one of the many things you can do is set yourself up for the Super Bowl as well. You have common opponents. You can get a lot of information and have a lot of stuff for that game. But, I mean, Bigsy, obviously, everything through the lens of the Bears, and we'll do that next. Mully and Hall on the score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.